0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees Podcast. So today I am joined by uh by Scott. So Scott, please introduce yourself.
0: Uh well, thank you for having me on, Simon. First of all, um, so I'm Scott casson Reddy. Um, I'm also known on so- social media as Gay Adoption Dad um, on all social media platforms. Just a little plug there for myself. Yes. Um, and um, I'm an adoptive parent. Um Twice, but with three children, if that makes sense. So, uh, basically, I've adopted twice: the first time, siblings, and then the second time, um, my third son. Um, many, oh, i say many months ago, two thousand and seven and two thousand
1: and fourteen. Wow, oh, fantastic! Yeah. So, when I say the word "thriving adoptees," what comes to, what comes to mind for you, Scott?
0: well in my mind because i think everybody's experience is obviously different i think thriving adoptees to 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 me in my head the the kind of first thing that pops into is is um not necessarily traditional um thriving in terms of how you would expect young people to you know thrive i think for me with with adoption and adoptees especially from my experience it's more um relating to um kind of larger milestones than you know perhaps uh we would we would think in, in normal terms so you know as an example older children how 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 potentially late they develop um after their experiences of being in care and then going through the adoption process and then you know all that stuff that comes with that all the all the kind of trauma that's associated with that so for me i think thriving adoptees means um that um it could well be that there'll be a of their kind of peers um but they are thriving in the sense of they they um, can kind of um, see themselves as, as, as you know, they can relate to their life story and they can relate to um, their kind of um, identities and and that kind of stuff. That's that, that's kind of what it pops into my head as, yeah, but there's yeah. lots more, I'm sure there's lots more behind that, but you know, that's kind of my initial kind of ping yeah. um, thought on Brilliant. in terms of what it means.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you share us a little bit more about your, your, your story um, Scott,
0: if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, obviously a same-sex couple. Um, we weren't really in the space years ago, excuse me, where um we um so when we met, you know, kids didn't really come into the conversation. We 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 didn't plan on becoming parents in the traditional sense of, you know, having the conversation of, oh, do you want kids? Because it was just, you know, it was never possible for us. <laughs> Um, clearly um, well biologically anyway and, and in other ways back then you know we met in 1998 so you know there was a uh, different time um, so um, and it wasn't until we I, I think it was about 2001 so we've been together for four years maybe three four years um, and we kind of started to uh, we were—we had um, a niece um, a goddaughter by that point, and there was clearly, we had a connection with them. So there was kind of this this nurturing side to us that came out as a result of having these like little ones in our lives. And, you know, they'd come and stay with us, we'd babysit, we'd have them overnight, we'd go and, you know, let their parents have a night out, all that sort of stuff. Um, And I think it just became something that there was, was, probably the wrong word to use in this context, but you know, it's like an itch. There was an itch there. And we weren't sure what that itch was, we went on to have um another uh nephew and another goddaughter um although um the goddaughter came just at the same time as this sorry our second goddaughter came at the same time as we were adopting so but um our um nephew was born um prematurely has additional needs um he's partially deaf um and he's got a lot of kind of things going on um delight to say he's nearly 19 now and he's you know he's making his own way in the world so that's that's great um but I think that you know that kind of um that that kind of additional need that he had there was there was just something different there for us um and essentially we 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 began began by looking at the fostering um in England and we did the usual kind of naive things of just going well you know it can't be that difficult we just apply and then you know they'll arrive for the child the next day and it's really easy you know that sort of thing didn't do any research into it um you know bearing in mind internet wasn't really a thing back then so it was it was not necessarily as easy to be able to research than it is now you know we didn't have podcasts we didn't have youtube we didn't have you know instagram or twitter to be able to kind of go and ask the questions um so we had to kind of make our own way with it and I think um, when we looked at fostering, well, I know when we first looked at fostering, um, we went through, uh, we, we had a, an initial assessment or a home visit from TACT, who um, were in the area um, at the time, and they sent out their independent social worker to kind of have that chat. Yeah. Um, and essentially, the report that she wrote <laughs> was lovely. It was really nice. I still got it somewhere, actually. Uh, it was a two-page letter, and it was a letter to us, and it said, um, whilst, you know, you would bring like some skills and stuff to foster and not sure it's really for you perhaps you should think about adoption instead um because I think our concern was that you know we wanted to be parents more than foster carers but bear in mind at that time you know we weren't really aware of all this thing that was going on with the change in the law because up until 2005-6 it was illegal for a same-sex couple or a gay couple or, or a gay person or a single person to be able to adopt a child so I, we you know lack of internet lack of um kind of research we really didn't know that all this was going on so when we found out we could do it we were a bit like oh okay this puts a different sign on things but what it also did was filled us with a bit more panic because (laughs) fostering and adoption you know I mean don't get me wrong they they require the same levels of commitment but the you know with fostering you may have a child for a, a couple of nights you may have a child for a couple of years um and then in some cases, you do have that child with you you know as part of your family for the rest of your life, but at that point in time, we were just so naive and so daft that you know we just thought well adoption is for you know at least until they're eighteen, or I think our words were until they're eighteen um and I think that's you know on reflection, without jumping forward too far, that's one of the things we've learned is not just eighteen and that's it you know there's there's still a lot of parenting to do beyond eighteen. Um, you know, there's still a lot of responsibility that you hold as a parent. Um, if you're you know lucky enough to still have the child the child in your life. Um, but um so we got to um you know, we did the home study. Um we sorry, we found an agency after that. I mean it took us another year, I think, before we then you know went for it with adoption. Um we found an agency who were really welcoming. Um, it was really exciting because he invited us straight onto the prep course. It was cap- happening in a couple of weeks' time. So it's kind of, you know, it's click- yeah, exactly. it's fast from there. Yeah. Um, and then the home study now, nowadays, it's a, you know, there's, it's a two-stage process. And back then it was just one stage and it just kind of flowed through until you were finished and then you went to panel. Um, but we were 18 months for something that back then should have been on average about 10 months to 12 months. Um, and the reason we were 18 months was because we were the first same sex couple to go through that agency. So obviously, they wanted to dot the I's and cross the T's. Um, we had a few challenges along the way. You know, um, there was comments made that we would probably not be able to adopt boys because we, you know, we may be paedophiles. And that was actually something that was said by someone within the agency um, uh, just because we were gay men. So we had kind of barriers like that um and wow. the, the panel was mainly I mean panels have changed a lot and I sit on some so you know I know they have changed but the panel was m- mainly kind of middle-aged older local councillors local you know businessmen etc who were kind of very um yeah just very um kind of yeah, not very approachable, not very, you know, like you went into the panel room and it was like, oh, okay, this is really serious, you know, stuff. I mean, it is a serious time in the, in the process, of course it is, but you want to feel welcomed, you want to feel like you're, you're doing a, 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 you know, potentially a good thing, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, and of course, two gay men walking in for the first time, you know, uh, it kind of made them rethink what their panel setup was, how many people they had on it, whether there was a good mix that they needed um all the questions were asked by the men there was only two ladies on there um and they didn't get to ask any questions uh you know all that sort of stuff so kind of re kind of they've had to reconsider their their approach to it as well especially when our social worker took them to task (laughs) after the panel because she was not happy she was really not happy um and i'm i'm grateful still to call her a friend actually i see her quite a bit um, which is lovely, but, um, yeah, so, and that took eighteen months, and then from there it just flew really you know I, I, I have to say, I think the, the again another reflection that I have on on the whole process is that you're you know this idea of becoming a parent and you want to speed through this process that actually you shouldn't be speeding through in my eyes, you know, it should take as long as it takes, and you should be learning and you should be developing as 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 a couple as an individual um to make sure that you've got a really kind of as much of an understanding as you can but also that kind of need and rush to become a parent to have that child with you you know and that's that's a traumatic process for everybody involved and I don't think you know again my experience and my reflection is I don't think that we do that enough we don't take into account the fact that you know the the placement and um all that comes after that that's Actually, a traumatic event for a child as well. You know, um, I think we think it's all, you know, oh, we place child and they'll, then they'll be happy and this and yes, there'll be teething problems, but you know, all that sort of stuff. So, um, but within four months, those um, my older two sons were placed with us. Now, four months from going to panel after eighteen months of delays and questions and challenges, that's fast. That's a really quick. You know, really, when you think about all the preparation that has to be done with children. You know, we were lucky that they were within an agency that did a good bit of prep for them. And, and it was all, you know, about different types of families and stuff, because obviously they had to introduce the idea of two dads or two mums or a mum and a dad. And, you know, um, so we were very lucky there. But I still think that in terms of that bit, and I was guilty of it, I wanted it to, I, I wanted those kids as soon as I saw them. I wanted those kids. But on reflection, it's just, you know, it's it's a traumatic time for everybody. And not just for for the child, you know, for for us as parents as well and that adjustment that you you kind of go through. So and that was the first two. um, They were sibling boys, seven and eight. So they were older children as well. So, you know, there was was all the talk of this high risk placement. Um, We're not sure what kind of parents should be because we've never experienced same sex couple um they're older so the chances of a breakdown are higher um their siblings the chances of a breakdown are higher one may settle one may not you know all this kind of stuff so there was all this kind of negative stuff that was put into us which I think I can look at it and see why it was discussed at the time but I don't think it should have been specific to the placement because I think it could put a lot of pressure on us as the adults to to you know to do what we had to do to be able to um keep the boys safe, keep them secure, keep them in the family, you know, whatever it took kind of thing was our was our approach. And not being able to stick your hand up and say, we need some help here, you know. And this is 2007, so it's a long time ago. And now we know that, you know, post-adoption support is available. But back then there was really no such thing, <laughs> you know. As far as we were concerned, you know, once that adoption order was signed that would be it you know we wouldn't see a social worker in our life again and that was partially true and for a couple of years you know there was no there was no kind of real focus on the the kind of support that a post-adoption team would give um and you know there was no nobody knew what um kind of attachment disorders were and stuff like that was quite early on you know still still learning about all these things so yeah there was a lot of pressure put on um but you know um I think the other thing that we didn't realize we'd have to do would be to advocate quite so hard, um, you know, in terms of education, school, health, uh, mental health, you know, cams, appointments, all that kind of stuff. So there's a, kind of a lot in there, I know. But, um, you know, I think when you when you think about becoming a parent for the first time, you're not you're not becoming a parent in the traditional sense. And, you know. The, the process for me, and I've I've said this publicly before, it's too fast. You know, you you can become an adoptive parent faster than you can become a biological parent these days, and to me, that's not right. That is not right because these children, you know, um, whether you agree with adoption or not, these children need security and they need someone who can actually, um, you know, see the job through. Um, and I think that's my biggest kind of bugbear is how quickly you know it can it can go. So. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. I, you, you asked me a question and I was like, it just comes out. Yeah. That's what we're here for. <laughs> well, exactly. And I think what's interesting though is, I mean, obviously I do, I, I continue to do quite a lot, but I think my experience made me go, you know, this isn't right. So I need to be helping people who are coming through the process. You know, yes, there was an element in me that was very proud to be a parent and to be the first same sex c- couple that went through the agency and, you know, to, to, do this and to take my children to the picnics and you know all that sort of stuff but actually I think I had a real need to help people to to help them to understand that it wasn't quite just becoming a parent you weren't just getting a baby that you know was delivered the day before and that there was no trauma there was no you know there was no potential medical conditions or 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 you know developmental trauma you know all that sort of stuff that we we know about um and I think that's when I first started to get into the space of, okay, I just need to help people with this because actually peer support is a, is a big thing in all communities, you know. We know social workers have their own kind of peer groups, um, you know, adopted people and adults and um, what have you have their um, support, uh, peer support. And, you know, adoptive parents need that as well as do foster care as well. So I think that's when I started to become, come into the space of um, being chatty about it, wanting to be... Not I wanted to use my voice to be able to say there's things that are right, there's things that are wrong, but this is great and this isn't, and you know, um, which is you know why I've ended up doing what I've doing, what I do with our podcast and stuff. So, you know, it's I think that it helped me to kind of look at my life a little bit differently as well and understand that you know my experiences could help other people's. Um, in the same way what you're doing with this podcast, you know, as an adopted person, you know, can kind I of, trying to get that message across for them as well so it works yeah
1: definitely i mean the 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 whole purpose is to um help people along their own learning curves with new insights perspective different perspectives different different view on things that that's what 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 i'm about and you know i was i was delighted to to be on your 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 podcast because I know that well. I now know that didn't you know at the time quite how much um, adopted parents like an insight about mm. how an adopt how adoptees think, especially I guess as a, an older uh, you know at fifty four an older adoptee who's got uh, hopefully got a little bit of perspective on it and and able to talk about it in a in a different way to to a younger person. Mm. A yeah. Um, and just a different perspective. It, it is yeah. all about for me. It's all about different different perspectives and helping others. And and helping others just means broadening our, our uh, horizons. So yeah. we kind of with that in mind. What what would you what would you share um, with the listeners about the most important drivers of of an, of an adoptee thriving or the most ingredients or whatever you know mm. the, 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 the 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 stuff that you'd really love to share because normally you're doing the interview and yeah, know. Know. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the 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 boots on the other foot here you mm. know what, yeah. what is it that you'd you'd that you'd love to to to, to share with us
0: well I think it's interesting because I read a lot Of comments, live comments. So I'm talking, you know, in the last kind of three minutes, someone's posted this on Twitter or somebody's posted that on Twitter. Now, I've obviously learned a lot from being a parent and a carer, um, you know, three boys. Um, And I think that the the one thing that I, the one thing, the one main thing that I've learned is acknowledging um, the fact that we have to start, we have, from the beginning, it's, you have to accept. acknowledge that it's not going to be a traditional parenting a child it's not it's just you know if 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 you find it's going to be like that then there may be problems in the future yeah i mean you know we have to acknowledge from the very start that this is going to be very different so you know when you're and just like as an example you know you might get a life story book now um when your child is placed with you um and you know to I know parents who just tuck that away because they don't want to acknowledge the fact that this might upset the child or, you know, it might do this or it might do that. And that's, that is the point of this, of, of becoming a parent through adoption is these are the things that you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with them at some point as difficult and as tricky as it might be. Um, You know, and I know that there is, you know we've got a spectrum here in terms of behaviors, potential behaviors, and how, how children will deal with stuff like this. But you know, there is no point in you and you thinking that you know to become a parent to, to a child like this, it's just going to be, well, I'm going to love them, and therefore they will settle and they will change and we'll live happily ever after because it's not going to happen, and you know. I can promise you that's not going to happen, um, I, you know, and um, I have heard, you know, stories of people who have children for three, four years before issues start to kind of manifest and come up, but they do come up, um, and my reason for mentioning Twitter there was because I'm still learning, you know, I've been I've been parenting for, well, since 2007, I'm still learning about language, I'm still learning and reflecting on the fact that, you know, nobody told us that we could potentially access services for our ad- adoptive sons that would help them with their future that, that would make them and help them to be able to talk about some of the stuff that they've experienced in the past that would help them to be able to acknowledge the kind of people they are as a result of some of that trauma you know um in terms of being people pleasers or you know um the way they may react to um authority or you know stuff like that and i just feel that that's a that's something that i'm always learning about and I'm always taking what I read from people who are living it you know who are living on that side of it and it doesn't matter how old they are you know because generally they're all kind of coming from a place of where they they're starting to acknowledge that this might be an issue because of this and then they connect the dots and they you know speak to their therapist or their counselor and then they they begin to acknowledge that and I saw something today about birthdays and how kind of a traumatic that event that is and it kind of got me to thinking about the birthdays that you know our children had in their earlier years with us um and of course as parents you want to be able to say well you know what do you want for your birthday you know well i want a bike okay i'll get your bike you know there's a bike um but the kind of lead into the birthday and the uncertainty the the kind of um, you know the expectation of what's going to happen am I going to get that gift I asked for am I not am I going you know are people going to turn up to my party am I going to get the cake that's a massive amount of pressure on a young person to be able to deal with when they can't vocalize that actually you know this is what they want you know they want it but they're not sure how to kind of how to deal with it and the same you know as an example Christmas you know Christmas birthdays for us were always a traumatic time for, for all of us, you know, to the point where we had to find a kind of, a, a kind of a balanced way of being able to cope with it for all of us, for all four of us. Um, so potentially not having visitors over Christmas, over birthdays, you know, just doing something as, as and, and to the point where not making a massive big deal out of it, you know, setting expectations, etc. But had I seen something from an adult who had been adopted that said, you know, don't put your expectations on us. So don't think that we want this or we want that without asking us. Speak to us. Ask us, you know. And at the age of seven and eight, you know, we should have done that. We should have said, you know, you can you can have what you like. If you don't want to do anything, you don't have to, you know. Um, if you want to have a cake and just the four of us, then that's fine. If you want a party, that's fine, you know. Um, but what is interesting is that uh, from... It sounds so simple to say that out loud and, and that's how you'd say it. But actually, it has to be, you know, age appropriate. It has to be in a way that you, you can then understand if they're just playing lip service to it. And that's where the listening um, and talking to adults who've been adopted or through the same experience, that's where that's really key because they potentially can help. Now, I'm not saying that they should be doing the job and helping us, um, as in, you know, it's it's not like, you know, something that we should expect, but if they're willing to share it, then we need to listen. It's that simple. Because they are the people that have been through that, you know. So I guess for me, that's that's a big thing. It's about the expectations of all. Um, and knowing that, you know, this isn't, you know, even now, you know, occupational therapist for um, Jacob, my 14-year-old, 15, nearly 15-year-old, you know, um, really making headway into his kind of um the way he um prioritizes and um kind of organizes himself and stuff but she knows that comes from a place where you know having experienced the care system everything was done for him by by his foster carers to a point um we've had we had to adjust our parenting style with him compared to the older two boys because he was he was completely different um and you know most things were done for him so he became disorganized he came this person that you know depending on people to do things for him and we now have to get him out of that but with the old I'm just using this as an, this as an example now but the older two if 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 we got to that stage we would we wouldn't know where to go for that help because nobody told us it was available so you know sometimes it's like the dry run and then the real thing and that's what it's felt like with us, you know. The, don't get me wrong; all three boys are still living at home. I don't know if the older two want to live at home, but they're still living at home anyway, you know, <laughs> um, at twenty-two and twenty-one. But you know, I I sometimes look back and I think the dry run was the one where we made the mistakes and and you know um, got things wrong and all that sort of stuff. And then the second time, we've still got things wrong. We've still made mistakes, but it's, you know, we've 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 became we've become more kind of understanding of. The place that they come from, and I just wish we'd known that the first first time round. Wow.
1: So the expect is is it the expectations, and a, dare I say, a more kind of a coaching approach to parenting? Is that? I mean, I, I'm just using. Yeah, yeah. I'm just using my understanding of it as as a, 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 a you know a, as a way to
0: to bring it to the top and mm-hmm. for you to edit what I've yeah. said. I think it? if we, if, we, if we think about coaching, yeah, I mean it's not it's it's a very kind of clinical way to describe it, isn't it? But it is like that. It is like that. But I think as well, you know, um, as a foster care as an example, you know, for your all of all of your, the children that are place with you, you still have a supervising social worker now. It's different with adoption because you're you're looking to become a parent and once that legal order is granted, you know, there's no more responsibility from the local authority. But there's, um, with post-adoption support, of course, you know, it's it's really important and it's a key part of it. But, you know, there's the, there's kind of that kind of counselling and that coaching, like you say, from a supervising social worker that you get through foster care that you don't get with adoption. You might get it for the first 10 weeks or however long it takes for, for you to get that adoption order granted. But, you know, in terms of professionals um, who can help you develop your parenting and make, and help you to understand, you would be dealing with a lot of different kind of areas of, of you know, the support system, um, you know, in terms of CAMs or, you know, um, play therapy or an occupational therapist, or you know. So all these things, you know, would be there. But it's whether you can access them, that's the first thing, um, you know. I find adoption support social workers are doing a fantastic job because they want to do that job. Yeah. They, they tend to, they tend to stick to that kind of work and that's what they want to do because they want to help families and they want to keep families together. Um, but there's just a limit to what they can do. You know, there's a limit to funding. There's a limit to this, there's a limit to that. Um, so that's really difficult, but I do think you're right in terms of a, a coaching approach, um, you know, and I think that's, there's elements of that in peer support, uh, and support groups, because you can definitely learn a lot from those. But in terms of formal things, you know, it, coaching would be a, a great way to describe what is needed to be able to continue on. And I think it's the next level up from maybe peer support and support groups, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: um I'm not sure if I made myself, I, I, I was on the right lines here. I, I, what I was getting at, if I can just bring it down to, to something really, um, uh, S- simple and, and from my own experience right yeah. um my dad was um unfortunately he died four years ago um, but he was quite uh um, you know if if, if he, he, he he was quite uh he wasn't a coach he wasn't a coach in in the sense of that like, he didn't he didn't really enroll you in a conversation so what mm-hmm. i mean he'd say right he, he got this pond after he retired. He he dug a pond and said, Oh, this pond's fantastic. You really want a pond, Simon. No, I don't, Dad. I don't want a pond. No, no, you really want a pond, you know? And and um so he he didn't he didn't sell it. He, he tried to sell it, he tried to force it into into me that that you know he'd enjoyed a pond and therefore mm-hmm. I should have a pond too. Mm-hmm. Now a, a, a coach wouldn't do that. You know, a coach wouldn't do that. So I'm talking about like a parenting approach, which is, yeah. you know, I guess I, I hear the jargon around, but I don't really understand all of it because mm. you know I don't. But, you know, child centred would be, you know, to say, um, it, it wouldn't be like, have you ever thought of a pond, Simon? Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm uh, with you. It, it, it's like it, it's it, it's instead of in tr- instead of trying to say, you know, this is my idea. Mm of uh, peace and quiet Simon and it's a pond and therefore you should have it or this is my idea of Christmas um, Mm -hmm. uh, to to your adopted voice you know this is what you should have this is you know it's more it's more kind of like what what is it that you want what you know it's it's kind of having less fixed expectations and, and being a bit more questioning
0: and, and definitely. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many different approaches, you know, like, um, uh, you know, different people have, have kind of done things with pace and, you know, NVR approaches and Bruce Perry. And, you know, there's lots of different kind of styles. Um, you've got therapeutic parenting approaches and all that. sort of stuff. I think um, you're right. I think my thing is reflective parenting, if that makes sense um that's why I call it anyway and apparently it is a thing so I've read um because I googled it um months ago and went oh that's what I do and it's for me it's about bringing some of those approaches that work for you what you learn as a parent the mistakes you make you learn from yeah so if they're going to kick off about something then how do I make sure that doesn't happen again what what do I need to change in my parenting style? How can I make sure that I, you know, like you say, you kind of, you're not leading them. And and I think that's hard as a parent anyway, because of course, you know, you've got your ideas and opinions and just general conversation. You can put ideas into their head. You know, you see all this, um, uh, you know, when we talk about racism as an example, you know, you see memes of um, like a a child of colour and a a white child hugging each other and saying, you know, this is, you know, but then when the child's older, you know, the white child maybe, you know, have kind of different ideas about things because of what they've been taught. So I think there is something in it, but I think it's about whether you lead a child or a young person down into your kind of frame of mind. Excuse me. Um, and also it's, it is, you know, there, there, I don't think there's a way of being able to learn all of these parent approaches unless you can, unless you've got a child. So to be able to say, right, so, you know, in your preparation, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at NVR. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at this. And there's no way you can relate it to anything. It's just impossible, you know, until you've got a child or the child that you are going to have placed with you, place with you, it's, no, it's it's just not going to work. And that's taken me a lot of years to understand that, um And when I say a lot of years, I mean, you know, it took me a few years to get to a point where I was going, I'm doing this wrong. I'm using my traditional thing that I said I would never do. I always said I would never do the bad things that my parents did, but I would always do the good things. But actually, some of those good things aren't good for my children. (laughs) So, you know, I had to kind of adjust my brain. Um, You know, we used to talk about battles and wars. Um, You know, my partner is very different to me in his parenting style his approach is very different, but we've kind of found a way through it in terms of being able to match each other and mirror kind of what the other person is and, and but doing it in kind of a way that reflects the type of parenting that we needed to do. So I think you're right. It's, it, there is elements of that in there for the child, um, but there are some things that you're not going to be able to impact on. And,
1: so yeah. so all, all
0: learning is on the job? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why i was confused with your coaching comment in the beginning because thank i think you. you know yes it is but you need to be able to access that learning um thank god for the internet because i think half you know adoptive parents do go to the internet that's their first kind of place you know um it's a bit like my husband when he has a pain in his knee; he's straight on dr google and then he's diagnosing himself with all these stupid things oh, but yeah yeah you know but it's that kind of thing it's that kind of approach and i think that we're very self-sufficient um, you know and I know there's a lot of criticism about why people want to become parents and you know through adoption and all that sort of stuff but actually I think when you're in it um, and you just want to have an impact and, and you want to help your child I think you'll do anything that you can and you do become this th- th- a big advocate for them you might not always get it right but you know that would be the same with my parents they never always got it right with me or my brother so you know there's there's kind of there's, there's a big argument there that could, could kind of um, you know yeah. Could cause-
1: yeah, uh, but um, I mean, all all, all couples um, have have those their different styles that you're talking about. Because you know, I've I've worked with uh, I've worked with adoptive parents and non-adoptive parents, and they 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 all have that. They all talk about the different things. Everybody talks about the fact that you know their mum. You know, everybody talks about that, how the parents um, parent differently, and their different approaches. And she does this, he does that. She does that, she does this, he does that. You know, it, it, it's all the same. Um, it, we, we all have the same challenges, uh, adoptive or non-adoptive. Yeah,
0: I think, and really. we all we all get it right, and we all get it wrong. We'll get it wrong, yeah. we'll get it right, and we'll get it wrong. And, yeah. and that
1: is that is the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, uh, and interesting, you know, you don't learn until you do. So i found it i found it tricky i find it tricky when people ask me um what should they do and i say well i'm not a parenting coach Hmm. me and my wife aren't parents apart from the two labradors and the two cooney cooney pigs so we (laughs) you know we're a furry parents um but we're not so i can't tell you what i would i can't tell you what i'd do i can explain how an adoptee thinks and i could I can, I can, uh, I can explain how all of us. I can take, you know, explain, and share my view on how, on, 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 on why we do the the stuff that we do. Yeah. And you can take an informed opinion on that, but I'm not going to tell you how to. I'm not going to tell you how to parent because I ain't one. Mm-hmm. So I haven't got, <laughs> I haven't got that skill set. I will bring a different perspective to it, and you can yeah. make your own, own choice. Um, and that is a sort of like a coachy answer when we live in a world where people want to tell us what to do, you know, we've, you know, we, we're brought up on like, learning is like a science experiment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you get these ingredients, or what do they call them? If, if you, if you've got these, um, what did we used to do? Write it down a list, a list of the equipment. We've got an equipment list and we've got our process. Yeah. And if we do this and we put that into that and this into this and we heat it on, on the Bunsen burner, then mm-hmm. we're going to get that. And that's how we think learning is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we go out in the world looking for strategies and yeah. processes and techniques. And they don't work because each child's different and life isn't a child, isn't a science experiment.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would totally agree with that. I mean, you know, if there was a if there was a magic pill. And I think early days I thought that I just need you I would just have to ask a question and then I would get an answer. You know, um, and that's not how exactly you know, if it was that easy honestly you wouldn't have gray hair and wrinkles by the time you're 40 but um you know is it is that is that is that is parenting and it's it's fostering and it's you know it's it's life as well you know oh, you yeah. there's there's parts of life that, that, where there's elements of, of that kind of thing yeah. because you know as an example you go on a training course and you will be a different learner to i'm a different learner you know and we see that, that again another meme of you know the the kind of the quality of it because you've got um you know different animals trying to do the same thing so you know a monkey climb a tree a giraffe is tall enough to get to the tree but the elephant is or the hippopotamus or whatever is it's, or something really small can't do that same thing so you know that's that's part of life isn't it yeah, yeah. But we just What's need to feel- training courses do you get on where you've got giraffes sitting well i know you know what I mean. what <laughs> But I think that's, that's you know, we, we have to kind of bring elements of of real life into this as well. And, you know, it, it kind of it helps you to understand what a child yeah. can go through as well, you know, in terms of their learning and, you know, how they see the world and stuff like that. But, yeah,
1: you're, you're completely bang on with that. Do you, do you think we're good at forgiving ourselves for our failures?
0: No, definitely not. No, no, no. I think that, I think you carry, a, I mean, in terms of memories and things, you know, I get this all the time and it's not that... Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say I get this. Um, I'll tell my kids I've done this. They can listen to it if they want, and I'm quite happy with that. They um, because obviously we did it twice, um, and because we have to, we do have to manage Jacob and early days especially. You know, he was he was a really violent, upset, traumatized child, and you know, to some extent he still is. Um, but we had to deal with things a little bit differently to keep ourselves safe. You know, to make sure that we weren't the ones that were going to be hurt, and you know, uh, kind of uh things damaged and all that sort of stuff um so in terms of our parenting style people would look at us and go holy moly you're really soft on him for doing that you know in my day i'd have got this um yeah you would have done and i would have done in my day if i'd done that to anybody you know if i'd struck out and been physical with anybody but i do find that you know my older two go hmm, you wouldn't have been like that with us when we were that age and i'm like no i wouldn't have been you're right and you know all I can do is apologize for that but I was I was learning I was learning from a place of the first time um and you know it goes back to what I was saying earlier you know the dry run (laughs) I mean it's a horrible way to describe it but you know sometimes that is that is the kind of realities of it because and and forgiving yourself you know when they bring it up I I sometimes just go oh god did I really you know if if
1: yeah
0: you know, if something happens and they say, well, you did that one, you know, and you shouted at me and blah, blah. I'm like, well, did I really do that? Was I that kind of parent? And I think that then that goes around in your head about, the, you feel guilty about the fact that you maybe reacted to, to something like that. Or, you know, I, I mean, I, remember, I do remember one, and I'm not particularly proud of it. Um, my uh, middle son is, well, he's, he's been through a lot with his mental health and we try to get him access to things and we you know we had appointments and you know but we never actually asked him if he wanted to, what he why was he wanted what he needed um again that came from a place of us not having it from early days he didn't know it was there there was a bit of a stigma attached to it and all that sort of stuff and i remember one day he just frustrated me so much and he had a tv on the bracket as well and i like it, it just was never off and you know i would be trying to have a conversation with him and all that sort of stuff and in the end, I just pulled the TV, the whole TV off the wall that came out with the raw plugs and everything, you know, and it was just through few, pu- pure frustration. Um, and I think about that most, you know, most of the time because I feel guilty that I did it, number one. But secondly, I feel guilty that I didn't see where he was coming from. I didn't see his experiences. I didn't see that some of the stuff that was happening to him at that point was actually um, a revisit back to stuff that had happened before. So. And yes, I do feel guilty about it. I feel guilty about it every day. Um, and I'm, in terms of forgiving yourself, I don't know. I don't think I would, I, I would ever for stuff like that. You know, it's just it's bonkers the way you deal with things in your own head. Uh, just before we came on the
1: call, um, I was having a session with uh, a coach. A, co- a, a, a lady who's coaching me at the moment. And um, we just finished. I just finished with um, a thought, sharing a thought with her, which was exactly what you just said. Really, um, I'm not very good at forgiving myself. Mm.
0: Yeah,
1: and I'm intrigued because I think it's, I think it's huge. You ever heard of a guy called Wayne Dyer? Um, he was uh, he was a, a one of the early mindsety guys, American mindsety guys in the sixties. I think he started, mm. and then he became more spiritual over time. So he became less psychological, more spiritual. But um, he had a tricky childhood with a, a dad, with a, a, an absent dad, mm. and um, he he went. Years later, he went to the grave. He went to his father's grave. or He discovered it's, it's a really long story that's very complex, but he ended up at his father's grave. And he went there to pee on the, pee on the grave.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and it's an incredible, it's an incredible story. He, he, he stood there ranting at his father hmm. for about two hours on the grave. Uh, and then something shifted for him and he forgave his father
0: Mm.
1: and his whole life changed because the the anger was the anger was gone and what is it that changed that's Mm. the only thing that changed the anger the um, the the, the, the ranting, the demonizing uh, and his whole he said his whole life changed after after, after that yeah. and he, I, don't think he, I don't think he shared that because he was still kind of a mindsety guy, but a few yeah. years later on I think he started to share that yeah. how that how forgiveness how forgiveness, the healing the healing power of forgiveness yeah. and um, I think yeah, I wish I was a bit better at that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say as well, I think that I find myself, because I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about Jacob and how we deal with stuff and what I feel guilty and what I'm forgiven myself for with him. And I don't think there's actually much. And I think the reason for that is because when all was said and done and it all happened, whatever it was, afterwards, to sit down and to kind of reconnect with him, to apologise if you have done something. So, you know, um, Jacob has a big thing about raised voices. He can't deal with raised voices. So, I, you know, if, if it ever happens, which is very rare these days because I understand that, so I have a different approach to it, but if it ever happens and I apologise and I tell him why I raised my voice and, you know, maybe I was frustrated, maybe I was angry, maybe he'd shocked me, you know, whatever. Maybe I was worried for his safety. Um, so I find that actually that kind of approach, my memory of things that I haven't forgiven myself for with him is very limited. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, by having that kind of approach with and being able to acknowledge when you get it wrong, you know, yeah. we can be too stubborn as well sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the biggest yeah. one for that, believe me.
1: Yeah. Because if, if it's good enough, you know, if we want... Uh, I, I heard this phrase, I heard the, the similar sort of phrase around this, a similar sort of my, um, principle around this, uh, from a, an entrepreneur guy today, mm. talking about leadership. Um, it wasn't an entrepreneur guy at all. It was a, an entrepreneur. It was Brené Brown, with, and she was talking about um, vulnerability and um, emotion, emotional safety, or something like that. I can't. It's like going first, right? Mm. So if we are, if if we put our hands up, uh, you know, you know, leader. Parent equals leader,
0: yeah.
1: Um, in a in a in a shorthand way, if we put our hands up to that, then they kind of like accept it, rather rather than being that yeah. dogmatic idiot. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking for some reason I'm thinking about politicians. I don't know quite why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we're not going to go there.
0: No, that's <laughs> not going
1: to. But. but, but the, the, you know, being the, the vulnerability, be, being. Um, I was also thinking about the guy that uh, the, the the Spanish or Portuguese like guy that was the boss of Lloyd's TSB who had mental health issues, and he was like, hmm.
0: you know,
1: "Yeah, I, I'm going public with this." Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. and that destigmatizes it. It yeah. makes it okay. It, mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, uh, the perfectionist. Um, uh, Nurturing side disappears you know yeah perfection perfectionist perfectionism becomes less of a thing it mm. becomes less real it becomes less something that people buy into and get snowed up in you know yeah. I'm talking about a guy who spent a lot of time in in educational publishing i've i've read proofread probably twenty million words or something stupid like that. And I'm always looking for the apostrophe that's wrong, you know, mm. so the perfectionist. But you know, perfectionism and, and and lawyers are looking, you know, lawyers are looking for what's wrong in a contract. Publishers yeah. are looking for what's wrong in a document. Accountants are, are, you know, especially auditors are looking for what's wrong in the audit. We mm. we we look for what's wrong. We look for what's wrong, and we beat ourselves up about, about yeah. what, what we've what we've done wrong. We don't forgive ourselves, and then, but we. But we ask our kids to do differently and yeah. they won't they'll do what we do, not what we say. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So on that on, on that one, um this is a question I find myself asking a few different people. Um uh, just moving it on slightly.
0: Mm.
1: Where do you see the line between understanding trauma? And moving through it more with more aplomb um, and move yeah Where do
0: you mm-hmm. start? That's an interesting one because I think it's only recently we've we started to relate trauma to the experiences and and the kind of the um how it manifests and how it shows you know uh, within the context of adoption and fostering, I mean it's probably been there. Um, but it's only very, well, in my um, experiences, only very recently we've started to talk about it. Um, and, you know, just even the thought, say three years ago, that the the trauma that a child would experience from finding out that they were going to be adopted from then being introduced to their adoptive family and, you know, photographs or videos or a book or whatever, to then meeting them, to then being taken away from, you know, their second family third family fourth family whatever it is that they've been with the foster carer to then you know and and that that trauma is still ongoing even to the point where you know well forever really we're all all experiencing trauma in our own ways but this trauma is really quite deep-rooted in some ways isn't it because the experience just continues and you know to be you know again three years ago I wouldn't have said this but to be to live with strangers because that's what we're asking. That's what we're making these children do. We're making them live with strangers for, you know, however long it is that they wish to to live for them. You know, that's my approach now. Whereas previously I would have said, you know, well, they're my children, you know, but I now acknowledge that there may come a day where they say, well, I don't want to live within this family anymore. And they will go off and do, you know, what it is that they need to do. Um, And it won't be about me helping them to do that but if they need my support to be able to do that I'm not going to you know I'm not going to be the person that goes well you know we've done everything for you and we adopted and you know blah 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 and you've ruined our life and stuff like that because that's not true for a start you know there's so much that has come out of being being a parent with these guys um but I think the trauma is ongoing it's always going to be ongoing as well you know especially you know even in adulthood um you know new experiences new things are happening you know you can even see the anxiety for some of the things that they do as adults which you saw as a child doing similar things, just you know, excuse me, child-centered rather than adult-centered kind of thing. So I don't think it ever stops. And I think that um it's a difficult one because there's so many options to be able to help to relieve some of that trauma. Because I don't, don't think I don't think you'll ever fix it. I, I, I think that's the wrong thing to say. I think using the word fix would be completely wrong. I think maybe you can resolve some of the issues that are related to the trauma. In the same way, you know, maybe, you know, just as an example, you know, my mum, when my brother committed suicide, my mum took her a good five, six years to go, I need to go and speak to somebody about this, you know, um, and it, but it took her a long time to be able to do that. So while she's still obviously grieving the, the loss of a son, um, she can now deal with it in a way that, you know, it doesn't affect her kind of day-to-day decision and all you know all that stuff that goes with that so I think there's not the same not entirely different either with loss and you know trauma of that loss Mm -hmm. but certainly um, I think we have to be more aware of the fact that we're never going to fix we're never going to cure we can help to relieve Um, we can help someone to be able to acknowledge we can help them to be able to talk we can help them to be able to maybe deal with things differently or react to things differently I don't think we'll ever cure it, um you know again, there's no magic pill, is there
1: well, yeah, um I've got a very contrary view on this my <laughs> personal view on it, my personal view on it um,
0: mm. we're all entitled to one Simon, so yeah
1: <laughs> uh, so i've I've had more. I've had more of a challenge around business actually than I've had around adoption. If I were mm-hmm. to look at it, so my adoption trauma was very short and sharp, uh, uh and I was adopted at five weeks old, and mm-hmm. I hadn't had the uh, so I only had relinquishment, if you know, to put it in the yeah. jargon, right? I I just had the relinquishment stuff. I didn't mm-hmm. have I, as a as a as a five-week-old kid, well, you know, she short-term foster care, and then she collected me from the short-term foster care, I did my birth mother, and took me to 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 the adoption agency council, whatever it was. And, mm. So she gave me away twice, right? So I lost her twice, as I now understand. Yeah, <clears throat> but I didn't go through any, you know, I didn't go, I, I didn't go through anything else. Didn't have any mm-hmm. any other adverse, you know. There's no more not being, wasn't leaving a, 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 a you know an abuse a, a, an abusive household or a, yeah. a, 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 a household where there were drugs or any problem like that, yeah. So, yeah. and you you can't separate those things. You know, mm-hmm. kid. You all right, relinquishment trauma, um, abuse trauma. I yeah. don't, you know, it, it just it doesn't. It, you can't. Yeah. There's no way you can. It, it would be far too Um But for me, the So my adoption trauma actually came late, you know, Mm. came around forty, and 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 I, what I did really was I I believed stuff. Um, I believe two two big bits, and the second bit is probably easier to to explain. Right, second bit was reading a book, reading Nancy Barrier's Primal Wound, Mm -hmm. and thinking I was wounded. Right. Well, she's using a metaphor. She's using a metaphor and she's saying that I was, you know, all, all adoptive kids are wounded. Well, what, what was wounded? I, 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 you know, if I look back on my own stuff, it wasn't, it was, you know, it, it hurt my, it really hurt my feelings. Like how dare she, you know? Um, and you know, what was wrong with me? Those sorts of things, and 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 then, I, but then then I realised that that's what that hasn't that isn't what happened. Yeah. So, in that realisation, it's not there anymore. You know what was it? What was it that what's it made of? You know, um, but uh, that's a little bit. Mm. Um, this is supposed to be me trying to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I, but I think we're all, you know, we all have a different views and, you know, it doesn't mean to say that everything that, you know, is said on social media or everything that I hear or everything that I listen to is is going, well, that's absolutely, oh, that just answers lots of questions and da-da-da-da, I'm going to try that, you know, it's not about that, it's, it's you know, we've all got a different experience, my, my experience of parenting might be completely different to somebody else, I might have gotten it all wrong, you know, um, I'd like to think I don't, I, you know that i don't get it all wrong um that i do get some things right but you know other adoptive parents who i speak to they may look at me and go you know i don't know how you do it but i look at some of mine and go i don't know how you do it yeah. you know um and th- it must be the same you know again not um not putting that onto onto on people but you know i guess we all come from different places you know um yeah Men, our mental strength is is different and our experiences are different and stuff like that so we're all you know we're all kind of you know i I sometimes wonder how much being an adoptive parent has affected my mental health and you know and potentially some of the trauma that I feel yeah. you know and that's not me I'm not projecting that I'm just saying that we're we all have our own experiences we all deal with things the way we will deal with them um, we think we're strong. We're maybe not as strong as we thought we were. We have experiences of things that have happened that we didn't never, in our million years, would have expected. How does that affect us? Um, you know, and and that's not about blaming you know our children. That's that's about who we are, how strong we are, and how strong we are, not because um, we're all different. And you know, we are. We, sh- we should all be different as well. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah. As I think, you know, I, I, we i didn't ask you about your brother though hmm. no that i don't know that that
0: must have that well must have hurt that to hell. well it, i mean it 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 did it does um you know especially this time of year because it was his birthday a couple of weeks ago uh sorry it was his um anniversary of his death a couple of weeks ago i actually <laughs> just a little side point as well i was chatting to an old friend the other day i was long story short watching a movie with Jacob and I, I was telling them that um the movie that was on it was pretty women actually me and my friend were watching that when we were trying to study for our exams and we had a VHS copy and it was rewind play rewind play and it was just like that we we said we were going to do a week of um, exam revision and we were going to knuckle down but we didn't we just watched pretty women all, all whole week um so I was messaging my friends to tell him that I was explaining this to Jacob and um my brother died in 2005 and he said um he said I I do have something to tell you about that. actually he said um because he's a nurse um and he was a a, I think he was a a staff nurse in the A&E department um back then and he actually had the the police um walkie-talkie that night and he heard it all happening as it was happening so you know my brother being like looked for found you know all that sort of stuff um and it's kind of there's there's a, a kind of return to that kind of um, trauma in terms of what happens. Now it doesn't affect me in the way that I sit and go, Oh, you know, how could he have done that? How did, you know, etc." I very early on got to a place where I accepted that that's what he wanted to do because he tried a few times, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, uh, you know, he, he had mental health problems. He was, um, he, well, he knew all the, coppers by first name you know because most of them had arrested him at some point for trouble that he caused he wasn't able to be a parent to my beautiful amazing now 22 23 year old niece who's um, engaged has been to university and she's now a veterinary nurse he wasn't able to be that parent for her Um, you know he he caused my dad a lot of issues which um, in turn made my dad ill um and of course mom at the same time so there was a lot of things going on there and that's not to say that it was you know easy it was just like oh it's a relief he's gone but it was a kind of it was in a it came from a place where it was like um you know well he he had made that decision and this time he made sure it worked for him um because you know he'd made mistakes in the past in terms of what he tried to do and all that sort of stuff so for me early on there was very much that kind of um commitment to being the strength from my parents because you know they'd lost a son i'd lost a brother yes um but i had to be kind of that person for them so i think that my brain very quickly or my mind very quickly went into this kind of mode of um parenting as a child that makes sense looking after them making sure they were okay um trying to help them with their grief and their loss Um, not really dealing with, with my own grief i dealt with my loss I definitely dealt with my loss not necessarily with the grief um and um you know having experienced some of the kind of things that you know he you know when he went into um hospital and stuff um because he was having a mental health episode you know i experienced that a couple of times myself with him when he lived with us um when he was uh, living um quite locally to us um so i think for me there was a lot of experiences there and my age being that little bit younger um living away from home as well you know they lived in Scotland we lived down in England so I wasn't there all the time I didn't have the same kind of instant memories or this time he'd be coming down to make his cup of tea or to be going to work or you know stuff like that so I didn't have those kind kind of connections so you know I'm not saying it was easy by any means I'm definitely not but I think it definitely gave me a kind of resilience to be able to deal with um, things for my parents and as they've come up in, in the past um, and you know I get emotional about it sometimes of course I do and I, th- I think about it a lot And you know I think what would he be like at the age of 42 you know he died when he was 28 um, you know would he be gray like me <laughs> you know would he be bald you know all those sorts of things go go through your head um, but yeah um, and I, but I think it made and you know that was the other thing that kind of when we were looking in fostering and adoption you know I was scared to tell the social workers that this had happened in my family because I've never had the experience of having the you know the the cloud um, as some people call it um, and those dark thoughts. I've never had that, um, and I was really scared to share that in case they thought that that might be me. And you know, when I eventually did share, because social workers have a way of getting that sort of stuff out of you when you're going through the, the process, and it was seen as a strength more than a kind of a negative thing. So. Um, but yeah, you know, and that wasn't anything to do with adoption. You know, we, we statistically, you know, we know there's a, a large number of adoptees who do commit suicide, sadly. Um, and you know, we need to do better by them, quite clearly. But you know, it's a, it's a, it's not just within the adoption um, community yeah. that that happens, sadly. Um, and our mental health provision in the UK and on Ireland actually is not great when it comes to stuff like this. It might be getting better, but it's not getting better fast enough to be able to deal with, you know, the lies. So do you feel that that, did you feel that that
1: um, revealed the resilience that you'd already had? Or do you think it was, did it strengthen
0: your resilience? or, Or is that splitting ahead? I, no, I think it had to be pointed out to me, actually. I didn't realise. So, you know, my parents split up. and oh, OK. When I was 16, um, I ended up being the main carer for my dad and brother at the age of 16. Um, and I, I clearly, as a, as a main carer, you know, of two very, <laughs> two very um, dependent men who, um, you know, my dad worked away. So I was most of the time looking after my brother from the age of 16 on my own you know cooking I was doing the cleaning I was doing the laundry I was doing you know the housework all yeah. that sort of thing. um I, I didn't realize I'd picked up that kind of side to me through that you know um I sat on my exam through that I tried to go to college I couldn't really that didn't really work for me at that time in my life I just wanted to go out to work because that was the ethos that you know my, my family had Does you know well we earn money and that's what we do um and and I think that that when that happened and you know six months before my cousin had done the same thing actually he'd um, committed suicide as well um and we were all from the same kind of area and stuff so there was there was a lot of it in and around that area at that time um in in that time um a lot of people who were connected to each other actually had a number of mental health problems a lot of people didn't know that they had them and stuff um and in Scotland at that point um in the in Fife and Central Belt there was a I've a huge increase in, in suicides um, around the same time. Um, so when it came to the kind of this process and and getting through that, I think that the resilience had to be pointed out to me and the strength that I carry. And, you know, it, it takes me a lot for, to use these words in terms of talking about myself because I'm not, you know, I'm not a modest kind of individual, but it did have to be pointed out that actually, you know, what I'd been through and the way I dealt with it, Maybe hadn't been the perfect way to deal with it, but it, you know, it stood me in good stead for what we were about to embark. Got, you see, for me, I, I, I
1: see just an incredible guy that just keeps going.
0: There's part. There is something in
1: there. <laughs> And, and then and then somebody comes along and like like I just did I said, well that's about resilience and but it wasn't you know it, it, it's just like it's it's not a mindset i heard a guy being interviewed as a rugby guy um a captain and and and, and, and um it, this was um the first black uh, South African rugby captain right and they interviewed him and um and this guy said uh, something about leadership styles you know in a kind of a way not like that actually but uh, leadership style and 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 the guy said no this is just who I am mm-hmm. there's no kind of it's you just do it yeah. you, you just do it and and yeah it does have to be pointed out because you you just do it yeah. we just do it and and then somebody says yeah and and that's resilience and yes and that's why it had to be pointed out so that's an interesting take home but yeah. it is, we just do it and yeah. that's what everybody is doing. We're yeah. doing the best mm-hmm. that we can possibly do yeah. at the time. And, and I, how many times have I heard that and, and tried to let myself off the hook right? Mm-hmm. But I heard it for the for, for the gazillionth time tonight with this coach and mm-hmm. and, for, and forgiving myself and mm-hmm. forgiving myself and, and forgiving myself because, so all of us, wouldn't the world be better if we all forgave ourselves? And, and uh, not just because it's a good idea, but because we see, we really see it, that we are doing the best that we possibly can in any one moment. And and, and, and so we're off the hook. If, if, we, if we're not doing what we if, if we, we... if we're not choosing what we would have done, you know? So, like, I, I shared with you my adoption meltdown with my wife and, mm. uh, and the desk in the kitchen and stuff like that you shared the, the trauma the, the pulling the TV off the bracket thing like, when we're doing that stuff we're not, we're not in control we're not in, we're, not, we're not in control of what we're doing we're not in control of that anger we wouldn't do that unless we were you know slightly mad in the moment you know, um, and, and, but can we forgive ourselves for that can we can we forgive ourselves we're always doing the best that we can do because good enough is good enough is good enough for our kids so can't we can't it be good enough for us
0: yeah yeah as well a lot in that. there's a lot in there definitely yeah yeah and i mean i'm a kind of all or nothing kind of person so you say you know he's the kind of person i strike you as and and you know i do i throw myself into everything and you know until it ends whether it's um that I don't want to do it anymore or you know whatever um the one thing about being a parent is there's there's no there's no option to that do you know once you become a parent that is it for life and you know I'm grateful for that opportunity because I never thought I'd have that opportunity you know we we could just we could sit and discuss reasons for uh, you know what was what was the the, the kind of reasons why we adopted and all that sort of stuff. We could talk to the, a lot of people about that. We all have our own individual reasons, um, but it's where we get to within that, um, and you know we need to kind of we need to understand our our own reasons, and we do, we we shouldn't need to justify them. Um, they are what they are, um, but it's how we how we kind of parent as a result of that. We just need to you know. That's kind of the key thing for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, jobs come and go, you know, colleagues come and go, all that sort of stuff. Yes, at the time, it's, it's you know, it's it's part of your life and stuff like that. But actually, you know, if we just had a bit more consideration for ourselves, sometimes I think we would probably do a bit better as a, as a race rather than thinking about what it is that other people need and want from us. Um, unless you're a parent, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a brilliant
1: point to, to 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 finish on Scott yeah yeah so yeah f- forgive mm-hmm. yourself and forgive yourself when you can't forgive yourself yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. the irony of it all, eh? Mm-hmm.
1: yeah brilliant thanks a lot <laughs> um, so I, I'll put a link into the in, in into the, the your guys podcast on there uh, on the show notes is there a, a link to your on um, to your socials and stuff like that is there anything else that you want to share before we close up?
0: no not really i think um it's been a great opportunity to look at it from a different direction as well so thank you for that opportunity because um you know um i guess just relating back to what we were just saying there you know i um often do podcasts and then as in the, uh, the, the one that we do and i often surprise myself by my knowledge and my knowledge comes through experience rather than um, kind of the educated. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm fine at the moment because obviously with COVID and all that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm not working at the moment. So I'm applying for jobs and they keep on telling me, well, you're not overqualified, but you're over experienced. Um, and, you know, I think that, it's taken the COVID situation actually for me to understand actually I am I, I I'm mindful of useless information but actually some of it is and I I can use the words that I need to use <laughs> to be able to describe stuff I may not have gone to university but I can do that and I think I'm always surprising myself as a as a you know nearly well 44 and a half as I worked out today um you know starting a digital marketing course tomorrow um it, it, you know kind of let's you know that i i thought i'd get to my 40s and then that was it you know (laughs) but you need to keep on going and you know every day is a school day so let's just let's let's learn from from where we need to learn from and just keep developing ourselves and you know yes that's 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 just the way we should be and you are already doing it and our listeners
1: are already doing it because they are listening to a Mm -hmm. podcast not looking at pictures of cute puppies on instagram yeah yeah yeah. Or 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 pandas collapsing on YouTube.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or cats on yeah, YouTube or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Brilliant. So um I thank you again. It's been it's been an honor.
0: Thank you. Yeah. See you
1: soon. See you later.